0: Hello, and thank you for being a member of the History of World War II podcast. Episode 55, Chang Ku Fang. Last time, as the second half of the 1930s went by, with Hitler bloodlessly grabbing more and more territory, the various countries of Europe wrangled for alliances to protect themselves for the coming war. Yet each side had its own goals, which conflicted with potential partners, just enough so that treaties were left unsigned. But underneath these talks, military and political events in Europe and the Far East affected choices made and not made. As the Munich crisis neared some conclusion in mid-1938, events in Asia were about to affect Japan and the USSR, their militaries, and their outlook at the coming storm. Covered last time, the highest-ranking NKVD man in the Far East, General Genrik Lushkov, had defected to the Japanese to avoid being caught up in Stalin's purge. So Moscow, just to be safe, as Lufkov knew all of the Soviets' defensive positions in the area, brought in new commanders and border units. One of these new officers, the commander of the area around Chenkufeng Hill, which dominated the area around the Manchukuo finger of land that separated Korea from Russia. As for permission on July 6th to take the height to guarantee Russian control of the area, the communists had had enough troubles and embarrassments from the area, as it was. Problem was, this radio request was picked up by the Japanese and local troops were sent out to investigate. Sure enough, later that day, three Soviet horsemen were seen on the heights of Changkufeng. By July 9th, the local Soviet commander reported that he now had 30 men on the hill, and trenches were being dug in to repulse any Japanese attack. Now, the Japanese troops in the area, responsible for defense, belonged not to the Kwangtung Army, but rather the 76th Infantry Regiment, 19th Division, of the chosen or Korean, Army. And dutifully, General Swataka, the commander of the 19th Division, reported these events to the Korean Army commander, who reported it to Tokyo. But along with the Korean Army commander, General Koiso's report was a recommendation that said, Since a major offensive was about to begin in China to subdue the Wuhan Territory, an area containing three major cities in central China, a clash whose results could not be predicted was most undesirable. So it would be best to let the politicians handle it, thus removing the military from the equation and allowing it to do what it was trained for, defeat the enemy. So the politicians got involved, but the crux of the matter was the Russians were within their rights to be on Chengkufeng Hill, according to their maps. Of course, the maps that belonged to the Chinese, being used by the Japanese, told a different story. The discussions continued. But then the officers of the Kuangtung Army heard of the events, and since there was a sliver of Manchukuo territory involved, the leading officers decided for themselves to send an envoy to investigate. Soon the Major Mansunoba returned and reported on the soviet incursion and the equally tepid response from the korean army commander this was too much for the officers of the kwangtung army how could they live knowing japanese territory was again being defiled by the enemy with no response no it could not be borne so the kwangtung sent a warning to the korean army commander which stated that the chosen or Korean army had better force the Soviets off the hill, or the Kwong-tan army would do it for them. In fact, some of their men were being assembled in eastern Manchukuo now, which was just north of the tension-filled area, for this very purpose. This was the last thing General Koiso, Korean army commander, wanted to hear. What's more, he was on his way out, in a prearranged transfer. Who knew what the new leader would do, but for now, Koiso had to focus on keeping a lid on things. It would be the end of his career to hand a mess such as this to his replacement. But there were also younger officers under his command, who felt the same as the firebrands of the Tung. One of these, Colonel Inada, Chief of Operations Sections of the Korean Army, put forth his argument to Koiso. Look, the politicians were getting nowhere, and we're about to launch a major offensive that leaves us relatively vulnerable in the area. Why not push the Russians out, not in an attempt to start a war, but to gauge their intentions? If they back off, as they had at the Amur River, then we can proceed with our attack. If their response is more intense, but still local, we know, again, their intent, and can still proceed with the offensive. If they start a general engagement, then we know that the Chinese offensive must be called off so forces can be gathered here to chastise the Russians. Whereas China is not capable and will not be capable of their own offensive for some time, which allows us to focus on Russia with relative safety. Soon Inada had many supporters for his idea as it was run up the chain of command. Yet there were a few major detractors, including the foreign minister and navy minister. But on July 19th, the cabinet voted 3-2 to two in favor of his plan. And believing his idea would get the vote, Inada, a few days before this, had forces moved closer to Kufeng Hill. However, the Russians discovered this movement and sent two regiments of the 40th Infantry closer. To investigate. As for the Japanese, only two things remained before their assault could begin. One was imperial approval, which was really nothing more than just a formality. And two, for General Nakamura, the new Korean army commander, on his way to his post, to be briefed on the limitations of this incursion. He was just to test the Russians, not to turn this into a general engagement. To further emphasize the limited scope of this operation, Nakamura would be given no aircraft to support his troops, and several officers of the Army General Staff would go with him as well to liaise with Tokyo. Tokyo would decide what to do after and if the Russians reacted. So everything seemed now to be in place. General Sutanka was told to move forward. The attack would begin in the early hours of July 21st. However, something almost unprecedented was about to happen, which could derail the entire operation. On the morning before the attack, July 20th, Army Minister Itagaki went to visit the Emperor for his former permission to start the attack. This was almost more ritualistic than anything else, as the emperors had not objected to anything the military had done for some time. But the Japanese foreign minister and naval minister, after losing the vote, had gone to the emperor and explained the situation and the possible negative consequences that could follow. Emperor Hirohito, just 37 years old, did not like what he heard, so against precedent told the ministers. He did not approve of the plan. Yet somehow, the army minister did not hear of this, so he asked to see the emperor until permission was granted. Now before the emperor, the army minister found the semi-god most displeased, as he had already unofficially vetoed this plan of attack. So then he most directly and unpolitely asked about the views of the foreign minister, and navy minister. The army minister then all but lied, saying that the two men had been told of the plans and then had reluctantly agreed. Yet the emperor, feeling he was being less than straightforward with, said that there would not be another Mukden incident or another Marco Polo Bridge incident. There would be no more incidents where the army dictated the policy of Japan. And the final words of the emperor were, Hereafter, you may not move a single soldier without my command. Thus chastised by the Son of Heaven, no less, the army minister sent word to the 19th Division that the attack was off. The officers of the Korean army were upset and humiliated that their lord did not think them capable of dealing with the inferior Russians, especially Sutaka and Colonel Inada. So the two men sent communiques around to the officers within the Korean army of the temporary nature of the emperor's negative view. Really, those in Seoul were hoping that the local commander would attack on his own, to which the ranking officers in Korea could pretend to protest, but then would be forced to support the fighting, so that their men did not unnecessarily die by Russian hands. But then headway was made by those who wanted war, One of the liaison officers expressed the view that it seemed that the Emperor did not want them to use force, but had not expressly forbid it, which is a complete lie, of course. Yet, with this talk making the rounds, the Imperial restraint was being downplayed with each version, which led General Sutaka asking for permission on July 21st to push out the Soviet invaders for the purpose of non-aggression. If anyone can explain that to me, I'd appreciate it. But this was too close to the mark, so it was rejected by the new Korean commander, Nakamura. But Tsutaka wasn't finished. The general, seemingly hoping to win the title, King of Splitting Hairs, ordered that same day the occupation of another hill, Chufeng, about 800 yards to the west of Changchufang. But Nakamura saw through this too, and ordered the men back, who were already on the hill. But Sutaka kept his men there, and did not reply to Nakamura. A few days later, Nakamura realized that the 19th Divisional Commander was not going to pull his men back, so ex post facto issued an order for Sutaka's men to take Chang Chun Fen. Word of this got out, and everyone knew what it meant. It was only a matter of time before Cheng Kufeng was attacked. However, the emperor, to his credit, released another decree on July 26th, ordering that no attack be made against Cheng Kufeng. This was obeyed, and two days later, the men of Sutaka were back in their barracks. Yet, two infantry battalions were left in the area of the river that acted as a border to keep an eye on the untrustworthy Russians, and Sutaka remained with them. During all this, the Russians prudently watched these movements, and now that it appeared that the units from the 19th Division had withdrawn, Russian forces were sent on July 29th to occupy a third, though smaller, hill called Shaochengfang, located about a mile and a half north of Kufeng. Sutaka would not stand for this, and on his own authority had a two-pronged attack set against the ten Russians on Xia Fang. In very little time, every Russian was dead or wounded. Now it was the Russians' turn to be offended by Japanese action, and so Colonel Bazarov sent two companies from his 119th Infantry Regiment that very afternoon, supported by several tanks, to oust the aggressors. By then, it was raining and fog had settled over the area, so the Russian attackers were able to get up close before being discovered, which helped Bazarov's men drive the Japanese from the hilltop of Xiao Cha Feng. Sutaka now had his excuse, so he reported most of the day's events back to Korean Army headquarters and made sure to call it the Xiao Chang Feng Incident. This way, he was hoping that his request to bring the 19th Division back into the area would be approved and was somehow not related to the Emperor's decision about Cheng Kufeng. For his part, General Nakamura agreed that any forces that attacked Japanese troops needed to be defeated, but Sutaka was urged again not to allow this conflict to expand. Yet all Sutaka heard was, Permission approved. On july thirtieth, he ordered an attack to commence that night against the Russians on Sha Chao Feng and Chang Kufeng, because military common sense said you can't attack in one place and not in the other, as this allows the enemy breathing space to react. Still, he was directly violating an imperial order by simply renaming the incident while attempting to avenge an action that he had started. That night of the thirtieth, one infantry company was set to take Shou Chao Feng. The rest of the seventy fifth Regiment moved into position to liberate Cheng Kufeng. Those who had wanted a contest against Russia were finally getting their chance, yet they saw the inherent danger involved. Their supposed saving grace was Sutaka's legendary reputation of iron self-will, which would keep the matter local. That night, Sutaka and his 12,000 men ready themselves for battle and glory. Before we get to the battle, it's worth describing the territory where the battle will take place. Picture a meandering river about 10 miles long, going from the south of Manchuria to the Sea of Japan in a southerly direction. Again, this area is east-southeast of Vladivostok. To the west of the river is Korean territory. To the east, and the boundary line weaves with the Taiyumun River, is the slim finger of Manchurian territory. Touching this territory on the right side is the land of Russia. Just south of the middle of this section is the hill Chengkufeng. Shao Changfeng, the small hill just a mile over to the north, is on the right or Manchurian side of the river. The last feature of consequence is Lake Kassan, which is due east of Changkufeng, Kufeng, solidly within the Russian sphere. The attack would begin at 2:15 a.m. of July 31st. This way the darkness would hide the attacker's approach and what's more, negate the more numerous Russian artillery, not to mention Russian air power, a component not to be used by the Japanese for this test of Russian intentions. At 2.15 a.m., the assault force, some 1,600 Japanese soldiers, crossed the Taiyumen River. Visibility was just about 15 yards This allowed them to climb up Cheng Kufeng and engage the Russians even before they knew the enemy was there. And fighting was fierce. The defenders higher up on the hill lit off flares so artillery units could take out the attackers. But by then, it was too late. The Japanese were already under their firing range. The first line of Russian defenders was taken out. The Japanese moved on, finally having a chance to fight for their country and emperor. The large guns on the top were quickly overwhelmed, as were their gun crews. By 5.15 a.m., the men of Colonel Sato controlled the peak of Chang Feng. By 6 a.m., there were no more Russians anywhere on the hill. Those who had survived, the ones who managed to escape, ran east and jumped into the Lake Kasan to swim for safety. As the sun rose that morning, the Japanese flag, the rising sun, fluttered in the breeze atop Chengku Feng. The fighting had been fierce and mostly hand-to-hand. The Russians had one out of every nine men killed or wounded. General Sutaka wasted no time in reporting back to Korean or chosen headquarters of his success, but that it was prompted by a Russian attack on the hill to the north. The story would change again and again to fit the needs of the local commanders. Within hours, as it was at least partially clear that the Japanese held the heights and probably had attacked first, the new version was that Colonel Sato had foretold that the Russians were going to attack. So, as to not have his force, which wasn't supposed to be there in the first place, wiped out, he attacked first, during the night, before the Russians could wipe out his force. Most of the army high command was pleased. The Russians had been driven back and had been taught a lesson. Now the larger offensive in China could move forward. But there was still the matter of explaining this new wrinkle to the army's highest authority, the emperor. General Tala, deputy chief of the army general staff, a man who wanted conflict with Russia, was chosen to explain. Correctly, the events, and their reasons to the Emperor. Telling the story of Chen Kufeng from a certain point of view, Tada emphasized that the men of the 19th Division did all they could to work within the Emperor's guidelines. For example, by not chasing the Russians past their border once they were driven from the hill. That it had only been defensive and localized, per the Emperor's wishes. Emperor Hirohito Knew he could have raged and tongue lashed the man, but simply the deed was done. There was no going back. So the Emperor approved this attack ex post facto. He had little choice. This took place in the early afternoon on the same day of the attack, July 31st. Just a few hours later, General Sutaka requested of General Nakamura, Korean Army commander, to bring the whole of the 19th Division across the Taiyumen River to fortify Chengkufeng in case the Russians counterattacked. Nakamura said, no, the boundary was re-established and secured enough. It was time to wait. The Japanese would not have to wait long. On that same day, July 31st, the Russian commander, General Stern, was appointed commander of the 39th Corps of the Red Banner Far Eastern Army. He was taken over from a recently purged fellow officer. But there was no time to think about that or his future. The Japanese had invaded Russian soil. On the next day, orders came from Moscow. The Japanese troops within this area were to be defeated and pushed back. The days of Russian tiptoeing around the Japanese were over. Stern was given additional units. But as he felt the eyes of the NKVD on him, and Moscow awaited reports of his success, Stern erred badly. Instead of waiting for a build up of his troops, he chose to send them in as they came to him. The first counterattack began on the day he received his orders, May 1st. Some three thousand Russian soldiers made their way to Cheng Kufeng. Greetings, everyone, from uh, Central Virginia. So this second episode of April, as you know, is a couple days late. Sorry about that. Just a lot going on here. So the best thing I can do to think of to make it up to you is um, the first two members who email me at www.iipodcast.gmail.com win a free coffee mug in case you've already got one, or maybe you bought one in the past. um, If you go on Facebook and look at my other podcasts, The Life of Caesar, Life of Alexander the Great, I've got mugs for them too. So if you want, you can have Caesar, Alexander, Churchill. Just let me know, and I'll be happy to send it out to you. And again, it's just my way of trying to make up for my tardiness. So um, thank you for hopefully forgiving me, and um, I'll see you as soon as I can with the next regular episode. Take care.